Hi, and welcome to the Seacoast Vineyard Church Podcast. We want to thank you for joining us online and remind you to feel free to visit our website at seacoastvineyard.com anytime for up-to-date information on our local church here in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. If you would like to give financially to this ministry, whether that's a one-time gift or a recurring monthly gift, simply click on the Give tab at our website and give however God leads you. Now, we want you to enjoy this message from God's Word. Good to see everyone. My name is Tim. I'm one of the pastors here, and um, I've been uh, out of the pulpit for a couple of weeks. And uh, we had Phil and Jan Strout here for our 16th birthday celebration a couple of weeks ago. Man, that was awesome. I just want you guys to know that you made a big impression on our national directors. They really thought this church was awesome. They thought you guys were great, and they loved being with us. And I had some great things to say and encouraging words for us. And then last week, Rick, uh, our small groups pastor, gave a great word. I listened to it. We were out of town, and I listened to it uh, Last week, and we were with our regional leaders in a, a retreat where we planned for this coming year, 2014, for our region. And so we were up in Virginia Beach in meetings for like four or five days in a row. It was, it was really good. They're very productive. Well, we are starting a new series today uh, in the book of Jude. Did you know there was a book in the Bible called Jude? Yeah, isn't that kind of cool? Hey, Jude. I mean... And uh, it's over in the back of your Bible. It's the next to the last book, unless you have a weird chapter like mine, Table of Weights and Measures. And if you have that book, then it's the third one. That's a joke, but um, <laughs> bad one, obviously. And uh, Jude is the next to Revelation there. It's a, it's a very short book. Uh, matter of fact, I want to challenge you to read it over the next 25 days. You only have to read one verse a day, and you will have read a whole book of the Bible. One, there's only 25 verses in this book, just one chapter. And so if you start today and you read one verse and one verse tomorrow, in 25 days, you can say with total confidence, yes, I read a book of the Bible. And then you can move on to the challenging books like 1 John, 2 John. It's actually 13 verses. And so then you can, I mean, these are great books to start with because some people just get so intimidated and they go, you know, it's just so long and I can't stick with it for a while. Take these little books near the end of the Bible and read them. Just read them and give it a chance. Think about them. They're great books. They've got wonderful things to say. And so today we're launching into a series on the book of Jude. And I think the book of Jude is very... uh, appropriate. It's, it's very applicable for our culture and for our situation. Uh, Jude is writing a letter to a church. We don't know which church. We're not sure exactly uh, what group he's speaking to, but we do know this is a church and a group of Jesus followers, Christians, uh, that he loved and he cared about. And so the letter is to them, to those folks he loved and cared about, uh, about a situation with some people in the church who are causing some problems with some bad teachings and some uh, teachings that were undermining the very basics of what it means to be a Christian. Very important stuff. I know sometimes it may sound kind of boring to you, maybe, but it isn't boring because the good news... The good news of the gospel is wrapped up in some essential truths. 
And if we sacrifice those, then we've sacrificed the power of the gospel and all that there is to hope in. And so Jude is concerned about this, but he's not writing the letter to those guys or those people that are causing the problem. He's writing the letter to the church that the problem is in. And so I guess this is written somewhere around 60, 80 A.D., moving into maybe like this just beginning of the second generation of the first Christians there. And uh, I think it's appropriate for us to look at the book of Jude because in our culture, we have so many diverse views and takes on what is truth and on what is, uh, is the real truth as far as when it comes to God. Who gets to, who gets to really say the way it is? And why is this way the way? and not just simply a way. And uh, so I think it's very appropriate. We have multitudes of different beliefs. I was in a conversation just a few weeks ago with someone where we talked about Christianity versus other faiths, and um, this particular person couldn't believe that I believed that Christianity was unique and that it held the hope for the world, and that is Jesus and that Jesus was solely and uniquely the one and only Son of God. And I was like, that, no, that's good news. That's not bad news. That's good news. It's good news. And Jude is going to deal with some of this in this book. And so, uh, you know, if everybody's, if there's, not, if there's not something we can sink our feet into and anchor ourselves in, then any old thing will do. And Jude is going to help us understand, and even today in his introduction to the letter, he's going to help us understand some of the essentials of what it means to be an authentic follower of Jesus Christ. And uh, I take great joy in reading this and being able to study it because it just encourages me. Uh, You'll find as you begin this journey, if you don't know this already, when you begin to follow Christ, that not everybody that comes into your life uh, saying that they're here to help you with your spiritual walk are really there to help you with your spiritual walk. Sometimes there are situations that come along that uh, and people have certain agendas and they come along and they're there to somewhat subvert and to uh, change maybe some of the things that are very essential to what it means to be a follower of Christ. When we were first married, I know you guys have heard my story a million times, but you're going to hear it a million more because I love to tell it. But um, that's just the way it is. I mean, I love it. And I love it. You got a story. I got a story how Jesus reached us. They were wonderful stories. But when I first became a follower of Christ, Karen and I got married within about three months of that happening. Uh, I just came. I just became a 20-year-old. She just became a 19-year-old. We head off to college, and uh, I, coming to Christ, I was so excited about Jesus. I was so excited about what He had done in my life that when I came, most of you know, I got. I became a Christian at a surfing contest, and I went to this contest not looking for Jesus. I didn't go there looking for Jesus, but Jesus got me there. I mean, He revealed himself to me there at that contest. And when I came out of that situation, actually that very night, we, I started telling other people about it that within an hour or two of it happening. And I was just so excited because I had been on a journey somewhat. And I was so excited that, hey, I finally, you know, I see what it is. I see what, what, what it's really all about. And, but I told other friends and they weren't as excited as me. And I, I was a little bummed out. You know, I was like, why don't you, why aren't you as excited about 
knowing that this is how the Father is working to reach you and to reach me. This is how much love he has for you and he has for me that he sent his only son. I mean, that's a pretty exciting thing, but you know, other people were like, well, man, that's your truth. You know, my truth's this, and if you say your truth's better than my truth, then that's not the truth. <laughs> Wait a minute. And, uh, and so we took off to college, and we're in Charlotte, North Carolina, and uh, UNC uh, Charlotte, and uh, I'm just like, man, I just really want to meet some other people that, that love Jesus. I just want to be around some people that have been impacted with the Savior. And then one day in our little apartment, I hear this rap on the door. And I go to the door and I open it and there are these two very neat young men standing at my door and could only be described as looked like they were part of the geek squad. I mean, this was back in the 70s. I just thought, well, that's a little weird, but maybe they, I, you know, I don't know. Maybe they were the Blues Brothers or something. I don't know. But, you know, they're standing there. They're very nice. They're very polite. And, and then they, you know, I look out. I, I didn't see a Volkswagen geek squad, but I saw bicycles. I thought they're into health. I'm into health. You know, I believe in staying healthy. That's cool. You know, they're young. I'm young. Uh, come on in. We want to talk to you about Jesus. Oh, man, God sends me two people to talk to me about Jesus. And, and so they come in the house. They sit down. A little weird. They won't drink my sweet tea. You know, wouldn't drink my coffee. But, I, well, you know, they're in the health. It's okay. They ride bicycles. It's cool. And, uh, and then they set up their little display, and they're explaining things to me. And I'm just really excited because now there's two more people who want to talk about God and talk about Jesus. And my wife, who is much more astute, than me, noticing the stink eye. You know what the stink eye is? I'm looking over at Karen, and, you know, she's like. You know, and I'm like gobbling it up. I'm like, yeah, yeah. And, and you know, they'd come back like every week. They were very faithful. They really liked to be with us. I mean, it was like, man, these guys are awesome, you know. They talk about God. They want to hang out with us. But I noticed every week Karen would be like another two feet away. You know, like, and so uh, I'm exaggerating, of course. But she did, she did have a sense, having, being much wiser than me at the time, and for sure, and still, uh, that she, you know, finally, I think on the, maybe the third or whatever visit they had come, she, she said to me, she says, Tim, I, I just don't feel good about this. It doesn't sound, doesn't sound like the Jesus that I know. And I was like, oh, man, <laughs> you know, Really? And uh, so I said, where can I find out something about whatever? So I found that they actually have a store with Bible stuff in it. I never knew they had stores like that. And so we found the little bookstore in Charlotte. I went to it, and on the clearance sale deal was this little book uh, that we're talking about this group called the Mormons. And so as I flipped through all the different religion, comparative religion groups and stuff, I saw that one. I said, hey, this sounds like these guys, you know. I started reading it. Bought that little book, brought it home, and Karen looked at it, and uh, she says, you know, they, they, don't, uh, they don't have the same Jesus we have. It's not the same Jesus, Tim. Not the same one. And so when they came back, you know, I said, sorry, guys, uh, you know, she says, no, because <laughs> I'm not... <laughs> Because, I mean, I really didn't know much at all. And uh, not everybody that enters your life in this walk 
Not everything that kind of has a banner over it that says it's true faith and it's going to be helpful to your walk in following Jesus is necessarily true and necessarily healthy. And so Jude has some people in the church that he really cares about that are stirring up some problems and knocking the legs out from under some very essential doctrines. Jude is the half-brother of Jesus. Maybe you didn't know that, huh? That uh, Jude and James, that was his brother. They are the half-brothers of Jesus. Uh, Mark 6, 3, uh, unless, in case you didn't know, because maybe you were taught that uh, Jesus had no earthly siblings, in Mark 6, 3, it says, Isn't this, speaking of Jesus, the carpenter, isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Jude, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? So Jesus' family was, you know, he was the firstborn, of course, but there was a big family that came to uh, Joseph and Mary you know, that followed on the heels of Jesus. And, of course, Jesus is unique. He's not just any old brother and, uh, in this. So that's Jude's background. And another thing to remember is this. Jude and uh, James and the brothers and the family, they did not believe that Jesus was who he said he was until after the resurrection. You get this? His own family thought he was a nutcase. I mean, his siblings did. You know, I mean, call me naive, but if I was going to have a book to try to pull the wool over everybody's eyes and get them to believe, for some, believe in something, I wouldn't have that in the book. I wouldn't have that in the book. I would have the family behind him, behind him, behind him, but the family wasn't behind him. His mother was, but his, but his siblings weren't uh, behind him until they saw him raised from the dead. And then, of course, oh, <laughs> you know. So that's something to remember. Jude, as we read this book, Jude's writing it to a church that's being threatened by some bad doctrine that can't undermine the faith. And uh, if I had continued to listen without having any discernment, you know, it could have kind of, it could have shipwrecked me for a while had my wife not been so discerning and so wise and, and uh, to, to help me understand. And so Jude is wanting to help the church understand that the folks that have slept, slipped into the church are not there for their health, are not there for the church's health. And uh, so this is, the, this is the book we're going to be looking at over the next four or five weeks. Uh, if you want to encapsulate the truth of the gospel in just a couple of verses, 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 5 is kind of a foundational verse. This section of scripture has been used by the church for 2,000 years. It was early on. Uh, as far as something to go back to and uh, to check people and check different belief systems by. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 5 says, Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. I'm going to take a stand on the gospel, on the right gospel. By this gospel you are saved. Uh, the one Paul's talking about here and the one that Jude will be talking about. If you hold firmly to the word I preach to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. And here we go. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, according to the Old Testament, what was prophesied. When you hear scriptures in the New Testament, remember they didn't have the New Testament. They were writing the New Testament. So we're talking to the Old Testament 
according to the scriptures, to the Old Testament, that he was buried and he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. There is no Christianity without resurrection. You may have a philosophy, you may have a a tall tale, you may have all kinds of things, but if there is no resurrection of Jesus, then we're wasting our time this morning. I've wasted 40 years of my life. That is crucial to the gospel, that Jesus was raised from the dead. Jude is going to go on in the next, uh, even next week, and talk about contending for the faith. He didn't say be contentious with your faith. There is a difference than being contentious and contending. There's a difference. I'm a jerk for Jesus. You know, no. That's not, he's talking about contending for the faith, for the truth, because it's the truth that sets people free. Jesus. And so he's going to talk with this church about what it means to contend for the faith. So today in his introduction, I want to point out a few things as he sets this letter up. And as we launch into it, um, he preaches some very good uh, theology in just two verses and some very encouraging words not only to this church but also to our church this morning so let's read the first two verses of Jude and I'll pray and we'll jump into this and I'll just point out a few things here Jude 1 and 2 Jude a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James to those who have been called who are loved by God the Father and kept by Jesus Christ mercy peace And love be yours in abundance. Father, I pray your blessing on your word this morning. I ask for you to come and breathe life on it. Help me, Lord. Uh, Give me the gift of teaching this morning. Holy Spirit, take this weakness here and just break through it and bring the truth of your scripture alive in our heart. May people be uh, encouraged today, Lord, to see you, to understand who you are, And to put their trust in you. May we as a church, Lord, be brought back again and again to who you are. How wonderful you are. And what you want to do in and through us, Lord. In this world that you love and that you gave yourself for. So Holy Spirit, we welcome you here. Come. Breathe life on your word. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this is uh, Jude's, uh, I guess it's his way of, of saying, here's my credentials. You want to listen to me because this is who I am. You ever done that? You have to kind of list who you are before anybody wants to listen to anything you have to say. Like you've got a list. Now wait just a minute, Buster. Do you realize what I've done? And then you start listing all of your great accomplishments. Well, notice how Jude begins this book. And if you, get, if you want to follow in the fill-in, you can just fill this in as we go along. The first one is this. You are first... First and foremost, a servant of Jesus Christ. I mean, of all the things he could have said, he says, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ. Jude could have said, Jude, the half-brother of our Savior, Jesus Christ. But he didn't say that. That wasn't his approach to this church. Because he was approaching this church as a servant of Jesus Christ. 
James said the same thing in his book. When he opens his book, he says, James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says the same thing when he opens the book of Romans. He says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus. Servant, that is someone devoted to another to the disregard of one's own interest. Did you hear that? That's what the servant in this, this means. Devoted to another to the disregard of one's own interest. And Jude says, I'm approaching this conversation with you, church, as someone who is devoted to Christ Jesus at my own expense. Whatever happens, it's about Him. I'm here to serve Him. And you know, folks, for those of us who follow Jesus, before you are anything else in this life, you are first and foremost a servant of Jesus Christ. When you are a father, you are first and foremost a servant of Jesus Christ with your kids before you are anything else. That's the way we approach life. We approach it that way. When I deal with my kids, your kids get you so upset. You're like, man, you know, I don't know if I can deal with this. And you just want to, you know what I'm talking about. And you just want to, you know, what a great time for the Holy Spirit that lives within us to grab us suddenly and pull us back and go, how is what you're about to do and say going to serve me? How is this going to give glory to me? What you're about to say, the words that are about to come out of your lips. Yeah. You're about to say it, you're about to do it as a father. It's not like, well, I'm a dad, i got to do this. It's first and foremost, I am a servant of Jesus Christ. As a husband, before anything else, wouldn't it be great if the first question we ask ourselves is, as I'm going to respond to my wife right now, Am I responding as a servant of Jesus Christ? You don't rise above being a servant in the kingdom of God. That's as high as it gets. You realize that? It's an upside down kingdom. Who created stuff like this, God? It's the way he does things. The first, going to be last. Last, going to be first. You want to be great? Serve. (laughs) I mean, what? It's so contradictory. The upside down kingdom. First and foremost, as a pastor even, I mean the machine of church and loving this church and wanting to see more people come to Christ. And, you know, I have to even remind myself, you know, we're making decisions and we're getting ready to have a staff couple of days retreat where we look at 2014 and make plans. You know, my prayer now, especially after Jude, is how is this going to serve you, Lord? I have to remind myself of that. And Jude is telling this church, you know, that's the way I'm approaching this problem is I'm first and foremost a servant of Jesus Christ. As a leader, as a wife, as a friend to others. I mean, a friend comes to you, right? And they're pouring it out. And you're like, you love your friend. And they're pouring this situation out to you and you're getting madder by the second because somebody has mistreated your friend. And you're getting ready to say, I would lay into them. What should you say as a servant of Jesus Christ? What, what serves the kingdom of God? What serves the greater picture of the kingdom, the rule and the reign of God? What is going to bring glory to Him? As an employee, some of you guys are going to go to work this afternoon. 
And you're like, man, my life sucks. I hate this job. You know? And it's like, my boss is the spawn of Satan. You know what I mean? It's like, I, and so you're going to have an opportunity. You're going to have an opportunity before you open your mouth to ask this question, follower of Jesus. Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus, go at it. Go ahead, have some fun. But this is not how we live. This is not how God is training us to live. God has called us to live a different way. And so, employee, you're going to have an opportunity to either say something that builds the kingdom of God, that serves Jesus Christ, or tears down the kingdom. Employer, I'm not going to let them off the hook, don't worry. Employer, you're a Christian, you have a business, and you have employees. And you're dealing with your employees. How do you treat them? Do you treat them as a servant of Jesus Christ? When you look and you do what you do with your business, and do you treat them as Jesus would? You are first a servant of Jesus Christ. Even church member even. I mean, a church member, you come here, this is your church. Are you speaking and are you acting and are you doing something that, uh, in a way that serves Jesus Christ and serves the kingdom of God? Are you serving? Are you stepping into some role, some place to help and to come alongside and to help with what God is doing in our church? In Mark 10, 42 through 45, Jesus called his disciples together and he said this you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them not so with you instead whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant I'm telling you man Jesus knows how to get to us and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all for even the son of man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many Jesus said we never rise above our ability to serve. And so before we say anything in a situation where it's going to be a little intense and you've got to confront some things, Jude says, I'm approaching this first as a servant of Jesus Christ. So everything I'm about to say has been submitted to that. And then secondly, as a brother of James. Now, when I first read that, I thought, oh, he's name dropping now, you know. James, head man over Jerusalem. We don't know a whole lot about Jude. We know more about James. And, uh, but that, I think the reason that Jude put James's name in there is he's saying, I'm human, just the way my brother James is. And James is serving the church in Jerusalem the best he can, and I'm trying to serve you guys the best I can. I am just another man that God has called, and I'm trying to serve Christ, and I'm trying to serve you. I'm a man. I'm a brother. I'm a brother. And then he goes on, he says, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James, and to the second part of the first verse, to those, and here's how he describes his audience, to those who have been, here's your next fill-in, called. You are called. To those who are called. Gosh, I love that. He draws a distinction. In other words, there's some people in this church who are causing problems and, and trouble there who aren't called. They are there and they're causing problems, but they're not a part of it. 
And so he starts drawing the distinction. But, you know, there are people in this church who are not Christians who are there stirring up uh, bad doctrine and trying to, we'll see in the weeks to come, making it cause a division in the church, disunity and chaos. Jesus, did you realize this? Did you know that Jesus called you? Those of you that are followers of Jesus, that you didn't just one day decide, hey, I think I'll follow Jesus. Did you know he called you? My, I used to, my dad uh, was a fisherman for years. He was an old Navy man. He got a boat, and we used to go out to the Gulf Stream and we'd, back in the 70s and the 80s, and we would fish for king mackerel. They're about gone, so we, you, know, you can't get them anymore in Spanish mackerel as well. And we'd put the lines out, the, you know, the outriggers out on the boat, and we'd just we'd drag them out there. And, uh, and when one got on, the clip, the clip would split like that, and, boy, they would take off. And they would just run, you know, grab those reels. And uh, did you know Jesus put the hook in your heart? You didn't go put the hook in your heart. Jesus has got you on the line. Man, we saw some mackerels jumping up and down, trying to get away. Dad would say, give him a little, let him go a little bit. Let him go. I mean, God's so good like this. Let him go a little ways. Let him go. Let him go. All right, crank back down on him, you know. You know, he's boop, 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 boop. Jesus chose you, chose you, picked you, looked down at you. Now, maybe you're out there right now. But listen, I got news for you. You don't get off that hook. You don't get off it. You can run a ways. You can just go out there, and he may give you a little bit of room, but he's going to go, whoop. You are his choice. You are called. Jesus called you. 1 Thessalonians 5, 21 and 24, Paul says, Test everything. Hold on to the good. Avoid every kind of evil. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who, what? Calls you is faithful. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. He'll get you in the boat. (laughs) He will get you in the boat. And you flip over to 2 Thessalonians Uh, verses 13 through 15, and we read, But we ought always to thank God for you, brothers, loved by the Lord, because from the beginning God chose you to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in the truth. He called you to this through our gospel that you might share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the teachings we passed on to you, whether by word of mouth or by letter. You were called. I, there's a story when, when I was studying this over in Luke 19 that just, just kind of flashed through my, uh, my head when I was thinking about this whole thing of being called. There's a story over in, in this chapter of a little guy named Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a short tax collector. I mean, not only was he a tax collector, but he was super short. So nobody paid attention to this guy. And when Jesus would come by or anybody would come by, you can just see Zacchaeus doing this. 
trying to get a look. I mean, you can never be recognized if you can't get someone's attention, right? And so here's Zacchaeus. He's hated by everybody. I mean, the tax collectors, they ripped everybody off. I mean, in a big way. He made huge sums of money off of the people during this period of time. And in chapter 19, it says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. Jesus never just simply passes through anywhere, just like he's passing through here this morning. He didn't just kind of go, hey, how's it going, Vineyard? No. I mean, he's here intentionally, and he was here intentionally in Jericho. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector, like chief sinners, chief tax collector, and was wealthy. But get this, he wanted to see Jesus. He wanted to see Jesus. I believe everybody wants to see Jesus. They just need to get in a position where they can see who he is. But because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. But the guy's persistent. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him. Since Jesus was coming that way. And look at this next phrase in verse 5. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. How's that for a call? Come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. Everybody has a spot. Every person has a spot where Jesus just happens to come by in their life. And he looks up and he points to you and he goes... I want to come to your house today. Immediately. That's going on in here right now. Right now, Jesus is passing through here right at this very moment. And some of you are up in that tree. You've been trying to see Jesus. Maybe people have hindered you by their attitudes and they've been more contentious than they needed to be. And so you've had the fog of faith in front of you. And now Jesus begins to walk by you this morning. You're up in the tree and there is Jesus. And he's pulling on your heart and tugging on you this morning to let you know today is the day. I love this story. Jesus does the calling. He called you. Do you notice he called him by name? Do you see anywhere in here where it says he knew who Zacchaeus was? Well, you don't see any place where one of the disciples says, uh, We got Zacchaeus up in the tree. <laughs> You know, Jesus knows your name. He knows your name. He knows where you are. He knows whether you're looking for him or not. He knows you're trying to get to him. He knows. He knows it's him. He calls. He does the calling. He's calling today. Yeah. To those who have been called, who are loved in God. Can you ever get enough of that? Those who are loved in God the Father and 
Father, and really this, the way this is phrased, it, it means that uh, you are cared for deeply and continually. It's this continual idea that this love that Jude's talking about is a continual love. Some of us in here, hey, I know God used to love me, but he doesn't love me now. But the love that Jude is talking about here is a continual love. It's present, active, right now. In this moment, in your chair, to your heart, to you. God is loving you right now. It's this energy, this love of God into your heart through Jesus Christ. He loves you right now. I know he loved me then. He probably would love me tomorrow if I would be a little different. But I don't know about now. And Jude says, no, he continually loves you. He's in the process of loving you even at this very moment. You're a servant of Jesus, a brother, a sister. You're called, you're loved. And your next one is you're kept. You're kept. Those who have been called, who are loved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. In a world that is so insecure and threatening around us, isn't it awesome to know that there is some security and it's found in Jesus Christ? That you are being kept for Him, in Him, for Him. Kept by Jesus Christ. John 10, 27 through 30, Jesus is um, preaching along and he says, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them. They follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me. He chose you. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand, and I and the Father are one. Safe, secure, kept by Jesus Christ in Jesus Christ and for Him. You're being kept for Him too. He has plans for you. Plans for your life. Wonderful plans kept in Him. These teachers in this church were subverting that truth and we're going to see that in the weeks ahead. Subverting the security that is found in Jesus Christ. Now that doesn't mean that we don't participate. I I just got to say this. That's in our culture, especially American culture, this is, it's not like this in other parts of the world, but in American culture, it used to be that you take this connect card and it says, uh, where is it? I would like to become a follower of Jesus Christ. And so you listen this morning and you go, man, this sounds good, Tim. I want to become a follower of Jesus Christ just because it sounds good. And so you check it off and then we go, go back to your life as normal. That is such, it's selling the whole thing cheap. Did Jesus really go to the cross and die a brutal death for you to check off a box and then go back to your life as normal? Or did he come to radically change us into the image of his own son? And we have to participate in that. And Jude is going to help us with this. He's going to teach us how to participate with God working in us to help us be more faithful and healthy followers of Christ. And so we do... You know, if you, and I don't think probably we have anybody in here, but I I have to say this. 
if you bought into the I check a box, I'm fine type of thing. And you know, I ask for hands a lot because I want to pray for people who are beginning their journey. It's not the hand that saves you. It's Jesus coming to your life that saves you. And then we're off to this journey. We're off to following Jesus to find out what it means to be a follower of Christ. And that's where we go back to a servant of Jesus Christ. What does it mean to live our lives as husbands, wives, moms, dads, granddads, grandmoms, pastors, employees, employers, to be a servant of Jesus Christ? Now we're ready to roll. Let's go together. So he keeps us. And then he says this, to those who have been called, who are loved in God, kept for Jesus, and he ends his, ends his introduction with this beautiful blessing, mercy, peace, and love be yours in abundance. Wow. Mercy be yours in abundance. Literally means be filled with mercy. Be filled with mercy, he's telling the church. Let your heart well up and be full of the mercy of God. Let it overflow your life. I don't know about you, but when somebody extends mercy to me, it's like an invitation to a relationship. I mean, if someone, if you've done something wrong, imagine that. If you've done something wrong and, and you have to ask someone for forgiveness, or you don't even ask and they come to you and they let you off the hook, they give you mercy, you've, you almost feel like that's an open door to a relationship. And that's the way God is. He pours his mercy into us so that we will relate to him in that way, as he's given us mercy as an invitation to experience this life as a servant of Jesus Christ. It means to experience the overflowing grace of God through Jesus Christ. That's what mercy means. In Hebrews 4.16, we read, Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Mercy. Then he says, peace is yours. Peace be yours in abundance. Be filled with the peace with God. Do you get this? Not of God, but with God. That's what this means. Be filled with the peace with God. Like you're, he wants the church to be filled with the recognition and the experience, I think, of peace with God. Those of you who are like sketched out a little bit today, like with God, like I'm not so sure I'm okay with God, but you know that you're a follower of Jesus. He wants you to be filled with the peace with God, that all is well with you and God. So Jude prays that prayer and he ends it with love. I mean, he mentioned love twice, right? Love twice because we never get enough of it. We can never be told enough that we're loved by anyone, especially God. In this book, have you, have you noticed how he likes threes? Did you notice that at the very beginning, like the first verse, called, loved, kept, mercy, peace, love? There's 20 sets of triplets in these 25 verses. 20 sets. It's like a trinity that runs through the midst of this little book as Jude tries to get his point across. And uh, they didn't have books like we have. They didn't have the Bible. They were writing the Bible and living the Bible out. And so since they didn't have books for memorization, they would use this tool, you know, and to, uh, to memorize this with and memorize the truth of Scripture with. And so he ends this introduction before he jumps into it. We'll jump into it next week. Mercy, peace, and love be yours in abundance.
Everything that we do from the point where we come to Christ and Christ begins to lead us into this walk, everything we do from this point on should be done because we are servants of Jesus Christ. We remember that we are brothers and we are sisters in this body, in the church, but we have been called by God himself to follow him that we are loved in God and by God and that we are going to be kept secure in Christ by God. And as we walk this life out, mercy, peace, and love will fill our lives up and change not only our lives, but change the lives of others and help guard us against teachers who would lead us astray. Let's pray. We hope you enjoyed this week's podcast from Seacoast Vineyard Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. We look forward to you joining us next time on iTunes or at our website, www.seacoastvineyard.com.